Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hi, friends. My name is Tony, and I am the site pastor of our Bolton congregation, and it is my privilege today to be able to share the teaching with you. If you've been joining us at all over the last few weeks, then you'll know that we are in the middle of a teaching series right now over the month of August that we are calling Women of Faith Who've Changed the World. And each week, we are exploring the life of a different woman, some past, some present, some who are still alive today, some who lived many, many years ago, but all of them made a significant impact in the world because of their faith in Jesus. And now, this might sound like a a bit of an obvious question when you hear it, but I think one of the questions that we've been trying to wrestle with over the last few weeks and as we journey through this series together is, um, what does faith look like? Like we're people of faith, right? Or, or, or maybe you're someone here who's like exploring faith or trying to figure out what faith is for you. But all of us, I think that one of the reasons that we're here is because that's kind of a question that is maybe in the background of our lives a lot of the time. Maybe we don't ask it out loud with our words, but maybe we're kind of thinking like, what is faith really supposed to look like? What does it mean to be a person of faith? What does it mean to live out our faith? Like, what are we supposed to believe if we have faith? What are we supposed to do if we have faith? How much faith are we supposed to have? What are we supposed to put our faith in? What does faith look like? Well, I want to explore that question a little bit more today, and I'm really excited about sharing about the person who um, I'm I'm going to today. I'm not going to tell you who that is just yet. First, I thought we could start by just getting warmed up with a little exercise, a little practical exercise on faith. So if you can, get off your chair or off your couch or wherever it is that you're sitting and join me. Hi there. Welcome to the Seven Family Home, and I'm here with Zoe. And we are here to help you and us just start off our message today with a little bit of a faith warm-up exercise. And we'd love for you to actually do it with us. So if you can, get up up, out of your seat. And if you're with someone, you can do this with us. Maybe you've even done it before. It's called a trust fall. And it just means actually having someone behind you. Zoe's going to be my helper here. And I'm going to be behind her. And she is going to put her faith in me, hopefully, that I'll catch her when she falls back. And so we'll do it a few times, and each time we'll do it a little bit further and a little bit further, and we'll see if she can fall back all the way without putting her foot out or uh, without, without hesitating or whatever, and hopefully I'll catch her. And again, if you're at home and you want to do this, I'd love for you to join us. So let's start just with a little fall. Are you ready, Zoe? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Oh, that was easy, right? How'd that feel, Zoe? Good. Good. All right. Let's go a little bit further back. Are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, there was a little step there. That's okay. It's not easy, is it, Zos? No. All right. Last one. We're going to go all the way. We're going to try to fall back without putting your foot out. I'll catch you. Are you ready? Three, two, one, go. Oh, good job. Well done. I hope you had fun if you did that at home, and and I hope your bum didn't hit the ground. Well, did you try it? Did you do the trust fall? Have you ever done that before? Maybe, Maybe not. Maybe this was your first time. Well, if you did it, how did it feel doing it? 
Was it easy to fall back and trust the person who was behind you? Did, did you believe that they'd catch you? Did you hesitate at all? Did you put a foot out behind you when you, when you, uh, when you fell back to brace yourself? Um, and most importantly, I hope the person caught you. <laughs> um, well, I hope that this little exercise was more fun for you than it was scary or more fun than fall. Um, but it was just a little example of what faith kind of looks like, of a situation where you needed to put your own body in the hands or your own life in some small way in the hands of someone else. You needed to trust that in that moment when you fell back, you wouldn't be alone, but someone would be there to catch you and to hold you, right? Well, today I want to share with you the story of actually two women and a group of their friends that they were with that actually kind of lived their lives like an ultimate trust fall. They were throwing their lives into the arms of God and ultimately they were trusting him with everything that they had. Now, here is a fun fact about this story. This story is actually from the oldest existing document that we know of that was written by a Christian woman. This is the oldest story of a woman of faith that we have on record. And I bet, I'm going to take a wild bet and say that probably most of you have never even heard of her. I had never heard of her until I I studied in school to become a pastor. And you want to take a guess when this document was written. How old do you think the oldest account from a Christian woman was written? Do you think it was maybe 1800? Maybe 1400? Maybe you think it was like the year 1200, maybe in the Middle Ages? Well, believe it or not, this document was written right around the year 200 AD, not long after some of the documents that we have that the apostles wrote that ended up in the New Testament. It's not actually that long after that. It was written by a woman named Perpetua. And it was her personal account of some of the events that happened to her and her good friend Felicity and a group of new believers that they were a part of. They had just become a part of a group of Jesus followers. And you can actually look this document up. You can find it online for free if you want to search it and read it on your own. It's called The Passion of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. And this is why she wrote down her story. I think it's so cool. This is what she wrote. She said, we have ancient examples of faith that have been written down to tell us about God's grace and help us in our learning. And when we share these stories, God is honored and people are strengthened. So why shouldn't new stories also be collected? They may not carry the same authority as some of the older stories, but they confirm God's promises. For in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And their sons and their daughters will prophesy. And upon my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit. I think that's an incredible reason to share a God story. I think it's an incredible reason why Perpetua shared her story so that people would know that God was just as real and just as powerful and just as at work in her life and in her day and in her time as he was in some of the old stories that we have, even as powerful and as present as he was in the stories of the Bible. I think that's amazing. So let's take a closer look at Perpetua and Felicity's story. Perpetua was was born in the late 100s. She was about 22 years old when this story took place. And she was born 
in the city of Carthage uh, in North Africa. And that's actually part of what is now modern day Tunisia. It's in the northern part of Africa on the southern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And I think this is actually another really cool thing about the author of this particular story. Not only is it the oldest account written by a Christian woman, but it was an African Christian woman, not European, not Western, not white, not from North America, but she was actually from Africa. I think that's really cool and maybe something we might not expect. Um, but it wasn't a very kind world that Perpetua was born into, especially not very kind for young girls. Sometimes it wasn't a totally uncommon thing that girls, when they were born, sometimes they were actually rejected by their family and they were left to die or they were drowned because in many ways, for some families at least, girls weren't seen as valuable to their families as boys were. They wouldn't grow up to help on the family farm or work in the family business or help out with the parents when the parents got too old to care for themselves because they'd probably be married off to some other man and be involved in his family. And so sometimes girls were actually left to die from the time that they were born. Now, thankfully, this wasn't the case for Perpetua. She was actually born into a wealthy family and they had lots of resources and so enough resources to, to raise a girl. And actually, the story tells us that she wasn't just accepted by her father, but she was kind of favored by her father, even above her brothers. She was educated and she was given the ability to read. And so she learned how to speak or how to read and write in both Latin and Greek, which were the languages of the day. And she had all the comforts and the luxuries of a wealthy life. But then one day, and the story doesn't tell us exactly how this happened, but one day at some point she met some Christians. And through that, she actually met Jesus and she put her faith in him. In fact, she put her faith in him so much that at some point soon, she was going to be willing to leave behind all of these things that she had been given and privileged with in her family life. Her wealth, her comforts, her privilege, her, her, her favored status um, from her father, all of these things that she had as a wealthy Roman person. Now, why was this the case? Why would she have to leave all of these things behind? Well, at the time, the common religion of the day that most people adhered to was part of what was called Roman polytheism. Now, that's a big word. And it just is, is kind of two words put in one. Poly, which means uh, many, and theism, which means the belief in God. And so really polytheism is the belief in many gods. And that's kind of what the Roman world was at the time. It was all these people that believed in all sorts of gods that they believed had kind of um, special powers to rule over different parts of the world. And they believed that different gods had specific powers over different parts of our lives. So some of the gods were gods over like our crops and our, our, you know the, 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 the land. And so they would be the ones that would make the man, the land either fertile or, or not. They believe some gods were like gods over com commerce and trade. And so those were the gods that kind of oversaw all the stuff that happened in the marketplace. They believe some gods were the gods over entertainment and joy and fun. They believe some gods were dedicated to certain cities or towns. They believed even some gods were dedicated to certain rooms in their homes. And so they believe that kind of the gods, the Roman gods, there were many of them and they all had certain uh, different roles, but they were all involved in every part of their lives, both private and public. But the thing was, people might have believed in all of these gods, but they certainly didn't believe that these gods were very caring or compassionate. In fact, quite the opposite, more that people believed that these gods were kind of um, 
powerful beings that needed to be feared and served. You needed to make sure that they stayed pleased with you if you wanted good things to happen in your life. And if you offended them, if you did something that might displease them, then you better watch out because something not so good might happen. And so the Christians at this time, people who were actually putting their faith away from this kind of polytheistic view of how the gods worked and turning toward Jesus alone, that didn't fit within kind of the common cultural views of the day. And so most Roman people just didn't get the Christians. In fact, sometimes Christians were even called atheists. Believe that. You know why? Because the Christians refused to have an idol of their God in their home. And that's what everybody did. If you believed in God, you put an idol of the God, or if you believed in any of the gods, you put idols in your home to honor them. But the Christians refused to put an idol in their home. So people are like, well, you must not believe in any God then. Sometimes the Christians were even accused of being, get this, cannibals. That means people who eat people. You know why? Because they talked about, the Christians talked about when they got together to worship and to have their services, they would talk about eating Christ's body and drinking his blood. And that was like a really important part of their worship. And so the Romans were like, what on earth is going on with these people? What are they doing? Are they eating someone's flesh and drinking their blood? Well, perhaps worst of all, is that a lot of people just thought the Christians were up to no good. They thought they were even, here's another big word, they were treasonous. And that means to be against your own country or even against the ruler of your country. Now, this was a pretty big deal back then because the emperor of Rome, the ultimate, the high ruler of Rome was actually seen by many of the Roman people as a God himself. And to many, he was kind of seen as like the top dog, the top God, the one who kind of oversaw all the workings of all the other gods and kind of kept all of these deities in check. And so people worshiped the emperor. They would often even come and offer sacrifices for the emperor and to the emperor. But the Christians, they refused to do that. And so it meant not only that the Roman authorities and the emperor himself saw them as a threat to their power, um, but it also meant that even the common people kind of saw the Christians as a threat to just their well-being. Because if you don't please the gods, then maybe good things aren't going to happen. Maybe bad things are going to happen. And so at times, if something bad went wrong in the town or in the city, like a big fire broke out, or maybe a flood came and destroyed a whole lot of things, sometimes the people or the crowds would cry out, send the Christians to the lions. It must be their fault because they're not worshiping the gods. They're not worshiping the emperor. They believed it was the Christian's fault. And so at best, Perpetua grew up in this world where Christians were kind of seen as weird, maybe people to tolerate but not get too close to. At worst, they were seen as enemies of the state. They were seen as threats to everybody's well-being. <laughs> now, Perpetua and Felicity were part of this new group of converts to Christianity. They had just put their faith in Jesus. And they were called at the time within the church, another weird word, they were called catechumens. 
And this means that they were learners in their new faith. Now, back then, when someone came to faith in Jesus, um, they were actually put through a period of about two or three years where they would need to intensely study the scriptures and they would need to learn more about Jesus and they would be mentored by people who were further along in their faith uh, 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 and taught about what it looked like to follow Jesus with their lives. And after that two to three period, eventually they would be baptized and they would be welcomed fully into the Christian community. Now, part of the reason that this was done was simply because of kind of what I was just talking about. The the world that they lived in was not friendly to followers of Jesus. They weren't understood. And oftentimes they were even persecuted. They were hurt and sometimes even killed for their faith. And so followers of Jesus knew that if someone was going to say yes to Jesus, they needed to be all in. And they needed to know exactly what they were getting into. And so this is the process that Perpetua and Felicity and the group of friends that they were a part of was going through. Now, it was right around the year 202 where the emperor, and get this, this was his name, Septimius Severus. Say that five times fast. Well, he issued a decree that made it illegal for anyone to convert to Christianity. And so this is probably the reason that Perpetua and Felicity and their friends were actually taken captive and put in prison because of their faith. Now, first off, they were put under house arrest. It means they were allowed to stay in a home and they could have friends and people come and visit them, but they weren't allowed to leave. And soon they were going to be put on trial. And so this was just the first step. They were going to be asked when they were put on trial to renounce their faith or turn away from their faith in Jesus and to make a sacrifice to the emperor. And if they refused, they would be declared guilty and they'd be put to death. And it wasn't just any death that they were going to be put to. It meant that they would be sent into the arena where there would be wild beasts who would attack them. And there would be thousands of people who would be watching this as entertainment. Kind of weird. But this was a big deal, right? This was no small thing for Perpetua and her friends. It was also no small thing for Perpetua's family who weren't followers of Jesus. And they just did not get what she was doing. Now, what I haven't mentioned yet is that Perpetua was actually a new mom. Her baby was still so young that she was still nursing her baby. And Felicity, believe it or not, was eight months pregnant. So they were not in an easy situation. Now, we are told that Perpetua in this document, it says Perpetua was nobly married. But you know what? Nowhere in this account does it say anything about her husband. And so what a lot of people think is that her husband very likely probably abandoned her when she made a decision to follow Jesus and he was nowhere in the picture. Who we do hear about is her father because her father loved her. And it, it actually tells us that her father favored her above her brothers. And so when she was under house arrest and her father knew what was likely going to be coming down the pipe for her, he came to visit her and he threw himself at her feet and he said, what are you doing? I don't get what you're doing. Would you just turn back on your faith? Just renounce your faith, make a sacrifice to the emperor and be done with this. He said, think about your parents. Think about your brothers. Think about your own child. You are throwing your life away. And you know what Perpetua did? There was a vase in the room. And she looked at the vase and she said, Father, do you see this vase? She went all Shakespeare on him. She said, can you call this vase by any other name than what it is? And he said, no, it's a vase. And he said, well, neither can I call myself anything but what I am, a Christian. 
And when she said that, her father became furious and he actually jumped on her to attack her. And it says to even actually rip out her eyes. He was so angry at her. But at the last second, he pulled himself back and he ran away. (laughs) Now, soon after this, some of the church leaders came by and they came by to encourage and help and care for Perpetua and Felicity and their friends. And it was at that point that Perpetua and Felicity and this group were all baptized and they were welcomed fully into the community of faith of the followers of Jesus. And they were saying their full yes to Jesus. (laughs) And from then on, things got worse. They were soon taken out of the comfortable house that they were stuck in when they were in house arrest and they were put into a real prison. And the account, Perpetua's account, describes this place as being like a dark hole. She said it stank, the heat was stifling, the prison guards were corrupt themselves and they would often like hurl insults and say terrible and offensive things to them. Perpetua's baby was taken away from her. You see, Roman prisons at the time were not designed to hold people for long. They were really just holding cells for a short period until people were sent to death. And so they weren't very nice places. They weren't given any food. They were actually dependent on their friends to come by and visit them, even just so they could eat. The conditions were so bad that one of the members of the group actually died in that prison. But the church community around them continued to support them. A couple of the deacons from the church actually came and managed to strike a deal with the guards uh, to uh, allow this group to be transferred to a little bit nicer part of the prison. They probably paid the guards off and bribed them. And so at least that provided a little bit of relief for this group, but it didn't change the resolve, not even a bit. Perpetua and her friends trusted in Jesus. And they knew that no matter what happened, he would be with them and their faith was not going to be wasted no matter what happened. And so they were in this place. And one of Perpetua's friends, another member of this group, came to her one day and he said, why don't you ask God for a vision that will tell us whether we're going to escape this with our lives or whether we're going to die? And she thought, whoa, now that's pretty Uh, that'd be a pretty big step of faith to do. But she said, you know what? I will. And in faith, she said, I am going to ask God and I'm going to report back to you tomorrow what I hear from him. And so she prayed for a vision. And that night when she was sleeping, this is what she saw. She saw a bronze ladder that stretched all the way up to heaven. But this ladder was covered all over with all sorts of these sharp weapons, knives and swords and spears. They were all over it um, so that if you didn't climb up carefully, she said it would cut you to pieces. And at the base of the ladder, she said she saw prowling around was a huge, great serpent looking to devour anyone who would seek to climb up that ladder. She said, someone called out to her, Perpetua, watch out for the serpent because you know who the serpent was, right? Yeah. But she replied, in the name of Jesus Christ, that serpent will not harm me. Do you know what happened in her vision? As soon as she said those words, that serpent lowered its head. And she said in the vision, she stepped on its head, just like it was the lowest rung of the ladder. And she began to climb up the ladder. And when she got to the top, she said she stepped into this incredible, beautiful garden. And in the middle of the garden was a man with white hair and dressed in the clothes of a shepherd. (laughs) And he was surrounded there with a group of sheep. 
And behind the man were thousands upon thousands of people dressed in brilliant white robes. And the white haired man looked up and he looked at her and he said, it's good that you've come, my child. (laughs) And he was holding in his hands some cheese and cheese in that time, it would have been a symbol of like abundance of generosity. And he gave some to her and she took some and she ate it. And as soon as she did, she heard the thousands of people behind him cry out, amen. (laughs) And she woke up. And even as she woke up, she still had the taste of the sweetness of the cheese in her mouth. And so right away, she went to her friends and she told them all about this vision. And they all knew exactly what it meant. But it wasn't necessarily good news. It meant that they were going to die. They weren't going to make it through this life. They were going to see Jesus. But you know what? That didn't make them sad. It didn't make them afraid. It actually encouraged them. It gave them a kind of strength and a kind of courage to face all of the hardships that were about to come. A few days later, they were taken to the town hall and they were put before the Roman official for their trial. Each one was asked one at a time, are you a Christian? And each one replied one at a time, I am a Christian. And they refused to offer a sacrifice to the emperor. And so with that, they were declared guilty and they were sentenced to die in the arena with the wild beasts. Perpetua's child was taken from her again, this time for the last time, never to be given back. Now, Felicity. This is where things got a little bit more complicated for her because like I said a few minutes ago, she was eight months pregnant. Now, the Romans, they did some of the worst and most terrible uh, forms of torture and, uh, uh, and punishment that history has ever known, but they also, they, even they had their limits. And so one of the rules that the Romans had was that they would not send out a pregnant woman to die in the arena. So this didn't mean Felicity was going to be spared. It just meant she was going to be spared until she had her baby. But this was kind of disturbing for Perpetua and her group of friends because they didn't want Felicity to have to go into the arena and become martyred alone. They wanted to stay together. They wanted to die together. They wanted to be together. And so they began to pray. They prayed that Felicity somehow would be able to have this baby before they were sent into the arena. Well, guess what? Immediately after they were done praying, the story says she went into labor. Her labor pains began and they all came around her and they helped her deliver this baby. But as she was crying out in pain from the pains of her her delivery, one of the soldiers was nearby and he began mocking her and shouting her. He said, look at you. You think you're suffering now. How are you going to, what are you going to do when you're thrown to the beasts? And in the middle of her labor pains, Felicity looked at this soldier and she said, now I suffer childbirth, but in the arena, I will not be alone for Christ will suffer for me because I will be suffering for him. (laughs) Can you believe that? And she gave birth to this healthy little girl and it was taken away from her, but it was given to members of the church community to be cared for and raised. Now, Those were some of the guards that might have been mocking this group, but actually there were some other guards. There were other people in the prison who were responding differently to this group of Jesus followers. In fact, this group was actually making an impact on some of the people. One of the prison overseers in particular, his name was Pudens. Um, He was watching 
And he had seen this group's faith and he had seen their joy. Like nothing was able to quench that. It was so weird for him, even though they knew they were going to die. And he had seen the way that they were caring for one another and that they were being, being cared for by their community. And he had seen how God was actually meeting them powerfully, even in their suffering. And he began to treat them kindly. He began to favor them. He actually let some of their friends come in to visit them and spend extra time with them and care for them and refresh them. He actually began speaking with them and sharing about his own life with them. You see, Pudens was being drawn toward Jesus. And I think this is so incredible because of their faith. Even though it was their faith that was the thing that was going to get them killed. But Pudens was being drawn to Jesus because of that. Till the day finally came when they were going to be sent out into the arena to die. Now, <clears throat> Perpetua and her friends, they didn't take this as a day of defeat. They, they saw it literally as their day of victory. And so they were marched down the streets from the prison to the arena. And as they were almost paraded in front of others, they were singing songs of praise. They went with joy, not with fear. And when they got to the arena and they refused again to worship the emperor or other gods, the crowd cried out and demanded that they be whipped. And so they were whipped. And you know what it says? The account says they took this whipping joyfully because they saw it as a privilege that they were able to share in some of the same sufferings that Jesus experienced before he was crucified. After that, some of the men were sent out first to face the wild animals. And there's a whole story to that that you can read. If you read the account yourself, they had to face a boar and a bear and a leopard. And it wasn't pretty. But for Perpetua and Felicity, weirdly enough, they reserved a wild heifer for them. A, a young cow. The Romans thought somehow it was fitting that because they were female prisoners, it should be a female wild animal that is the, uh, the one to torture these victims. And so these two women were bound in nets and then they were tied to this heifer so that it would drag them around and trample them. And sadly, that's what happened. Not enough to kill them though, only enough to injure them. It's not a pretty story. Um, and so eventually, after some time tied to this wild heifer, they were untied from, from it and they were brought for a few moments off to the side near one of the, the gates of the arena. And the very first thing that Perpetua did when she got untied was she took her disheveled hair and she tied it up because disheveled hair was a sign of mourning. And the account says Perpetua was not in mourning. This was her moment of glory. <clears throat> Another Christian who knew these women and who was in the stands actually came by because they were near the edge of the arena floor. And he came by to speak with them and he encouraged them to take one last opportunity to do that. And when they were talking, Perpetua actually asked, she said, well, when are they going to send us out into the wild beasts? You see, she hadn't even realized in that moment, bruised and battered as she was, she hadn't even realized that she had been sent out. Is that incredible? So it's possible, I mean, it's certainly possible that she had just had a bad concussion. Maybe she got trampled on the head. But the account says, the account says that they believed that she had been so taken up in God's presence that this was just one more way that Jesus was showing his presence and his power with her. And he was suffering for her and guarding her from the very suffering that she was experiencing. Can you believe that? Well, eventually... Perpetua and Felicity and the, and the others who were with them, who were still left alive, they were actually brought to the center of the arena before the gladiators. 
and each one was finished off with the sword. And it says that Perpetua, uh, specifically, she was actually brought before a young and inexperienced gladiator. And when he tried to run her through, he missed her neck and instead hit her collarbone and he only injured her. And she cried out with pain, it says. But then what she did, it says she took his sword in her hand and she put it up to her throat and she helped him finish it off. This was such a powerful moment that the person who finished writing this account wrote, possibly such a woman could not have been slain unless she herself had willed it. Can you believe that story? I know maybe it's not a story you'd expect to hear on a Sunday morning, but it's a pretty crazy story, right? It's a pretty powerful story. Like, what did faith look like for Perpetua and Felicity? Like what kind of faith did they have to be able to go through all of that without fear, without sadness, without grief? They went through all of these experiences with courage and with strength and with joy. Like what does that mean for our faith, right? Like does that mean our faith is supposed to look like that faith? Because my faith doesn't look like that faith most days. I'll tell you that. Does your faith look like that? How would we even describe what this kind of faith is? Like it's powerful. Well, I want to talk through that a little bit more with you today. But before we do, I think this is just worth responding a little bit. I think this is an incredible story of faith that we've been given through the lives of Perpetua and Felicity and their friends. It's absolutely incredible. I think it's worth even singing a song. And so I want us to sing this song. It's actually a song that's kind of a prayer of faith. And maybe it's even a, 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 a kind of prayer that Perpetua maybe even prayed herself. It's a song that asks God to be our strength and our fire and our joy. And that praises him for being good no matter what happens. So would you sing it with me now?
Okay, so now that we've heard the story of Perpetua and Felicity, it brings us really all the way back to where we started just a few minutes ago. The question that we started with, right? What does faith look like? Like, what is faith supposed to look like? If that's what Perpetua and Felicity's faith looked like, is that what my faith is supposed to look like? Well, I think one of the things that this story tells us about faith is actually the exact same thing that is taught in what many people call the faith chapter in the New Testament, in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, this is a chapter that talks about the faith of people who lived through the stories of the Bible, about the faith of Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Daniel and many, 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 many others. And it talks about what it looked like for each one of these people to live by faith. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read some verses, some selected verses from Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. This is what it says faith looks like. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for. It is being certain of what we do not see. That is what the people of long ago were praised for. All these people were still living by faith even when they died. They didn't receive the things that God had promised. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a long way off. They openly said that they were outsiders and strangers on earth. All of those people were praised because they had faith, but none of them received what God had promised. A huge cloud of witnesses is all around us, this passage says. There's hundreds and thousands and thousands of people who have gone before us, who have lived lives of faith, this says. So let's throw off everything that stands in our way. Let's throw off any sin that holds on to us so tightly. Let's keep on running the race marked out for us. Let's keep looking to Jesus. He's the author of faith. He also makes it perfect. He paid no attention to the shame of the cross. He suffered there because of the joy he was looking forward to. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He put up with the attacks from sinners. So think about him and then you won't get tired. You won't lose hope. Now, there's something really important about faith that this passage just told us. Did you catch it? It's actually something that Perpetua's life and Felicity's life and their faith was marked by too. Did you hear it? It was actually said at least a couple different times in this passage. It says, faith is being certain of what we don't see. Maybe another way of saying that is faith is trusting God even when things aren't working out. Even when we can't see his benefits in this life. You see what it said in verse 13? It said, these people didn't receive the things that God had promised. They didn't receive those things in this life. They only saw them and welcomed them from a long way off. (laughs) Here's the thing, friends. I think for many of us, 
certainly put me in this camp. I think that oftentimes what we want is faith stories where we can see the results, right? Just like a good movie. Maybe where there's like hard times for a while, maybe where we've got to work through some big challenges for a while, but in the end, we just want, we want God to show up. This would have been an amazing story if like, oh, Perpetua and her friends had all at the last second been set free and maybe they were paid out a whole lot of money and then went on to do some other cool things with their life. Like that would have been a cool ending, right? Those are the kinds of stories that we often want. We want to see the prisoners get freed. We want to see the sick person get healed. We want to see the problem get solved. Those are the kinds of reasons we want faith for. We want faith stories that tell us we're going to get results now. But I think what we need is more faith stories like Perpetua's. More faith stories like the stories of Hebrews 11 that remind us that faith isn't always about seeing all of God's blessings now. Faith is actually about trusting even when we can't see. And I think we need more stories to help us grow that kind of faith. The kind of faith that trusts God even when we can't see, even when we're sick and my sickness isn't going away. Even when I've been harmed and that person can never repay me for what they've done. I I want faith that's going to be there even when things just might never get better. Like how do we live with that kind of faith even when we can't see? Well, here's a couple suggestions and they come right out of the story of Perpetua as well. Um, I think there's a couple ways, just really simple ways that we can all grow this kind of faith that's faith for the times when we can't see the blessings of God. I think one way to grow this faith is to just to read stories of this kind of faith, stories like Perpetua's, stories like all of the stories we have in Hebrews 11 and all of the stories that those point to in the rest of the pages of the Bible. But that's actually why we're doing this series that we're calling women of faith who've changed the world because all of these stories, all of these biographies, they're stories of people who've actually persevered in faith even though they didn't see all of the things that their faith was working for in this life. And many of them actually died without seeing those things, at least in this life. But I think another thing that we can do to grow this kind of faith that is faith for the times that we can't see is actually we can be a part of not just reading those stories, but writing those stories too. Just like in Perpetua's story, I think one of the things that's so cool is that it says so many times throughout the story, it was friends of Perpetua and Felicity and this group who were not in prison with them, who weren't actually in these difficult circumstances, but who would come alongside them and visit them and care for them and encourage them and remind them of the faith that they had. It was people who shared in their difficult circumstances with them, but refreshed them and encouraged them and strengthened them in their faith. You know what? I think we can do that too. Maybe you're connected to someone or you know someone who's having a hard time seeing God right now. Maybe someone who's sick and who isn't getting better, or maybe someone who's lonely, or maybe someone who's going through like a long period of a, of a difficult experience. What would it look like for you to be part of writing faith into their lives? of coming alongside and encouraging them in their faith, even when they can't see God at work. And friends, here's why I think this is so important for us. Because you know what? Even though Perpetua and Felicity, even though they didn't see the results 
in this life, right? Like they died in the story. This in a very real way is not a happy ending kind of story, even though we know it is, right? But it tells us they didn't see the results in this life. It tells us what they did see. This story tells us what their eyes were focused on. Just like in the people of Hebrews, it says they saw it from a distance and their eyes could see it crystal clear. And you know what it was? It was the thing that their two names put together points to. <laughs> I, love, I love this fact. You know what their names mean if we put them together? Well, perpetua means like perpetual or like uh, uh, unstopping or unending. And that felicity means intense joy. And you put their two names together and it means these two women, what they saw with their faith was the unending joy of Jesus. <laughs> That's what these women had a crystal clear vision of. It's what they couldn't quite see in this life, but they knew it was coming in the next. And it's just like Hebrews says in, <clears throat> about Jesus. It says, it was the joy that Jesus saw before him that gave him the faith to endure the cross. They couldn't see it quite here, but they could see it there. And it's what fueled their life and it fueled their faith. And now they're in it. And because of that kind of faith that they have, they can encourage us to grow in our faith too. That's the kind of faith that I want for me and that I want for you.